This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we're talking the fall film festivals of 2020. FFF 2020. Ride or die. <laughs> what? Wait a minute. I forgot my introduction. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hello, hello, hello. Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. However, every now and then, we like to have these special bonus episodes, whether it's one of our fun commentary tracks or something completely different. And this is something completely different. This is a special look at the fall film festivals of 2020. The award season has begun, essentially, as we're kind of getting into things here, getting into more of the quote-unquote prestige films as we talk about exclusive premieres and what have you mm-hmm. and uh, specifically we're going to be focusing on the toronto international film festival as well as the new york film festival and then later on we're going to have our uh, special uh, international correspondent alex <laughs> billington talk with us about the venice international film festival i think i think he's still special guest uh, international correspondent he hasn't fully accepted the uh, correspondent title we're getting the paperwork together and we got to get a notary and notaries <laughs> are tough in the time of covid but we'll figure it all out regardless that is the plan for this week's episode and joining us for this first section of the show, we have from Next Best Picture, he had enough beans to get him one night stay in Miami. It's Matt Neglia. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for having me back on the show. Yeah, thank you for joining us. We know you've been a, a busy man. hear from you, Matt. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's been busy. It's been crazy. And, you know, having to do it all virtually uh, without taking time off from uh, my day job has definitely been stressful. Where in a normal year during these film festivals, I would be going on like a little mini vacation of sorts. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely been a lot. But at the same time, it's uh, been very exciting because in a year where we've been deprived of so many movies uh, coming out in theaters, it feels really, really great to be able to get to see um, what are my favorite kinds of movies of the year. And those are the Oscar contenders or even some more obscure titles that will, uh, you know, maybe contend for documentary or foreign language film films that people don't necessarily know about yet. But this is where the bars uh, buzz starts to grow. It's almost as if you're looking for the next best picture. Almost as if. Yeah. Wow. Whoa. <laughs> you should think about that more, Matt. I mean, I think there's like a name that you could you could make up. I, I think there's a whole website I could design <laughs> around this very concept. I mean, <laughs> what about it? I mean, yeah, it's nice to look for those kinds of films, but I am I'm more upset that I'm missing films like Gerard Butler's Greenland and The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. I mean, it's just things I like mean, that. We we're gonna talk about those on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually kind of bummed out too. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. But seriously, yes. Yeah. <laughs> seriously, yeah. It's 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 going to be exciting to talk about a lot of these films because there are a lot that potentially are going to at least be nominated for Best Picture to some degree for some of these as well as other, you know, major awards. But that's a bunch of stuff we're going to get to in a second. We got to get to some show notes real quick. Uh, go through some things, some some business here. First up, uh, we a new commentary track. That's good. Let me let me get back to that. Let me put a pin in that because I got to talk about this other thing first. Horror episodes. It is October. Almost October. It's coming to October, which means that we're going to do a series of horror episodes as we've been doing for the past several years, which are always a lot of fun. We get friends of the show, Brandon Peters, Jimmy O, and uh, Jason Coleman, along with other guests occasionally, to talk all about various aspects of horror cinema. Uh, we have a really cool lineup of shows uh, planned for that. We'll get to that when we kind of introduce those shows. But there is one that I can announce. We will be doing a commentary track for Psycho next month in honor of its 60th anniversary. That's one of my favorite films ever, so I'm very excited to talk about that. Um, but yeah, so that's that's going to be did a lot we, of fun. Did we, uh, did we get a chance to hire that one actor from Universal that just stands there like Norman Bates? Yeah. 
Okay, we, we got him. Yeah, excellent. We sent him to, to Brandon's house. It's gonna be it's gonna, it makes sense, it makes sense <laughs> for him. Because speaking speaking of Brandon, speaking of Brandon Peters, he has a new show called the Brandon Peters Show. He does. Uh, yeah, which he's has a very ambitious plan here because he's he's doing not only a kind of a podcast discussion with various guests, including yours truly, who's going to be on this week. Uh, he has multiple episodes every week, uh, some shorter, some longer, that go over new Blu-ray releases, uh, old cult TV programs. I believe friend of the show Jim Dietz is on that show, that portion mm-hmm. of the show with him, among other things. So, uh, congr- you know, congrats to Brandon, who's launched the show last week and had just a whole bunch of stuff going on. And uh, yeah. he does have a video component, which is why, yes, that's why we hired the psycho Anthony Perkins lookalike to be on that segment of the show with him. It just makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, uh, he just waves in the background. Got it. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, Check that out. That's where you can find all the podcasts as well. We wish Brandon well because he's a you know good friend of ours on the show. Good and friend everything. of ours, yeah. Yeah. And um, what else? Uh, new bonus episode went up yesterday. My lovely girlfriend and I, lovely Basana Bosch, joined me to talk about Enola Holmes. And not only did we talk about Enola Holmes, we recorded it outside in a park because why not? It was a nice day, and it's it, it was a it was a fun idea. I thought we could go for, and it sounds pretty great. I gotta say, I just I like I literally just held my phone next to us the entire time, and despite like noises of a tennis game happening nearby and some crows or what have you, it's a it's a I was very happy with how the audio quality. Was. I like I like that there's like you know nature sounds just throughout the uh, park sounds I guess throughout the recording. It's the most atmospheric episode of Out Now since you and I talked about savages on the way home from the theater. I forgot about that. Remember but, that? Uh, remember yeah. we walked, we were walking like down the street in San Francisco, talking about. Sanchez. I do, I do remember that. Yes, yeah. And I think that recording turned out actually okay. <laughs> yeah, no, it sounds good. So, what I'm saying Oliver is, Stone Savage as well. What I'm saying is these multi-hundred dollar studios that other fancy podcasts have are completely useless, and you can have a really good conversation on your iPhone. Yeah, <laughs> take that, Matt. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Shots fired to Matt. Shots fired. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> We're, but, we're but no, that was that was, that was a lot of fun to record. That's set up on iTunes. Now, speaking of which, all of our shows are on iTunes, and what else can you do on iTunes? You can rate and review podcasts, can't you? And so why not go to go to our uh, out now iTunes page, uh, out now there on name, give us a rating and review. Starting would be great. And uh, if you want to write some words, I, I know we actually have a couple new reviews that I'm not going to read right now because we're already going long. But you can do that. It'd be great. Yeah, thank you so much in advance, and also uh, give Matt some love. Yeah, of course. Aww, yeah, thank you, you guys. You can go find the, on next, there. the next Best Picture podcast. That's on there as well. It's, it's, I mean, the acronym is almost as good as ours, but uh, which I can't say either of them out loud right now because I'm talking too fast. But I mean, you know, we're, we're doing a good job. <laughs> <laughs> so, but no, uh, all of us are podcasters. All of us, you know, it, it's nice to you know get some bumps on the old iTunes charts. So that's a uh, that's just a good way to do it. Good way to respect the shows that you like listening to. Yeah, thank you so much in advance. All right, let's move on now. Let's get to these film festivals. That's me kicking it over to Abe. Abe, let's yeah, get to these like, Is there a drum roll? <laughs> yeah, thanks, guys. You, know, you guys have watched films from both of these film festivals this year, and uh, we kind of just want to dig into it. So, Matt, we're going to open up the floor uh, with you. How many films did you watch this year compared to years past uh, from TIFF uh, and New York Film Festival uh, separately? Well, actually, funny story. I had never gone to TIFF. Prior to this year, in, in technically speaking, I still haven't gone to TIFF. Mm-hmm. I, I actually, uh, you know, this was interesting for me because it was a virtual festival. And because I am the editor in chief and owner of nextbestpicture.com, um, I was given quite a lot of 
well, let's just say concessions uh-huh. uh, okay. when it came to the festivals this year. A lot of olive so, oil. Yeah, yeah, we'll say that. So <laughs> I got my fair share of movies in for the festival, even though I technically wasn't fully covering the festival. One of my writers, Dan Baer, he actually was accredited and he was uh, writing for the festival and doing most of the heavy lifting throughout and, uh, you know, most of my uh, watching was revolved around the Oscar race and other pieces that we are uh, currently working on as well. And uh, I wrote my fair share of reviews here and there. But uh, for the most part, this was a very, very unique situation, to say the least. Um, and, yeah, I've never actually physically gone to Toronto. I actually like to go to Telluride and instead send somebody else on my team to Toronto instead. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was no Telluride this year. So, I think that was like part of the reason why I was like kind of gung ho with trying to get in on what everybody was watching at Venice TIFF and now uh, New York Film Festival, which is still going on, which I'm covering because I live I live here in New York, mm-hmm. even though once again, haven't actually physically gone to the venue due to COVID-19. It's all been done virtually. So this whole year is just wacky and weird and crazy. And, you know, I, I think that the level of access has been pretty incredible yeah. for that reason alone. But at the same time, it's also um, it's not the same. You know, you're not in a crowded uh, theater with a bunch of people. You don't have that same buzz in the air as you get when you're at a festival. You're also not talking to people online about what they just saw. So it's different. All the reactions are unless if there's an embargo that's breaking at a specific time, the reactions are not coming out at the same time, you know, so it's different. There's, a, there's definitely I like a lot of teasing on Twitter as well um, for some of these because of the embargo. But I do want to, Aaron and I both want to congratulate you on, on kind of being very safe about uh, your choices. Uh, I mean, maybe congratulate is not the right word, but definitely give you like a pat on the back because no, no, we're also in that back, same boat. For a lot yeah. of us that, you know, are certainly making, I don't want to say big choices, but responsible choices as far as how to handle some of these things. I mean, it. It's good to it's good to you know it's good to see yeah. that reflected I guess in the kind of film right. critic community for the most part. It's not, it's not yeah. as though Aaron and I don't miss movies either. You know what I mean? It's, it's like it's it's certainly um... we're always two steps away from converting this to a board game podcast. But yes, we do love. Yeah, movies. exactly. <laughs> we're, we're, it's gonna become Castles of Burgundy in like uh, two That's episodes. Such a specific I've only gone to uh, <laughs> I've only gone to the movie theater to see one movie post uh, quarantine uh, or post shutdown rather, and that was uh, Tenet. Heard and it. that was because yeah. there was no other way for me to see it. And there was no links being given out to see it virtually. So I ended up boarding a train and traveling yeah. out of state. And I saw I, I saw it and then I immediately ran back home and shut myself in my room for two <laughs> weeks and didn't leave. <laughs> Aviator style. Got it. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Show me all the blueprints. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me ask you this then. Like When you were over at Telluride, how many movies do you watch typically in that in that span? Okay, so, like, I'm crazy when it comes to film festivals. You know, a lot of people, what they do at film festivals is they get assigned to see certain movies, they see a few, and then they write about them, they go to parties, they do interviews, all of that, right? When I go to film festivals, I just try to see as many as humanly possible. So I'll try to cram in, like, six a day, five a day, you know, whatever it is. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I will do my absolute best to see everything, Because part of it also, too, is I really, really want when those movies do come out for my team to be able to get the opportunity to uh, review and see them and also be able to, uh, you know, get some of those uh, screener links that may get sent out and such. So I want to be able to kind of like spread that amongst out amongst everybody. 
Um, but it also helps me too in just being able to get a feel for like I was like you said earlier, finding that next best picture, right? Mm-hmm. So I like to consume as much as I possibly can. Now at Telluride, it's different because it's a shorter festival. It's only uh, four days like long. Three days, four days, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you you also don't have like a packed schedule like you do with something like TIFF, where there are like multiple theaters with uh, multiple movies being shown back to back in all these theaters. Same thing with Sundance. So I remember at Telluride last year, I th- I think, and don't quote me on this, but I think over the course of like the four days, I was seeing maybe something like maybe like four a day. Mm-hmm. So, but I know it was less than 16. I think I clocked in at like 15, maybe when all was said and done. Uh, quoting Matt, seen 16. 15 send, movies. Send tweets now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to say send at the end of it. <laughs> it's like James Conn's tweets. Whereas now, like with this year with like TIFF, for example, because it's like yeah. all virtual, I saw 20, over 20 of the titles uh, that were playing at TIFF wow. this year. Okay. And for Venice, I think I saw something like 10. Uh, in New York, I'm currently clocking in at 13 at the moment. I'm actually kind of lagging a little bit with uh, New York. It's pretty and part of seeing like 20% more movies watching from home. Like, you know, like that's pretty incredible. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I know some people who have seen like over 200 movies this year already. And well, I mean, just for the film festival, though, specifically. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, I, I think there are some people who, when they cover these festivals, especially virtually, they watch literally every single thing that's posted there. I don't have that luxury mm-hmm. uh, just due to the sake of time. But, you know, another thing about these festivals this year is that they're only giving you a 48 uh, viewing window. Right. So, you know, you really do have to plan around it the best that you can. And as I mentioned before, I'm not taking off from work uh, from my day job. So there's no vacation PTO or anything like that being given. So, you know, trying to squeeze it in, you know, amongst doing a day job, you know, you you inevitably will miss some things. So I'm really, really sorry to Frederick Wiseman, but your 227 minute long uh, documentary is going to have to uh, wait for another time. <laughs> oh, uh, I think I think we might get to that with uh, with another guest later. Um, let me but, let uh, me tell you, the, as far as Telluride goes, backing backing up a little bit, what yeah, what it always what it always seems like to me is like a really expensive way to hang out in someone's backyard and watch movies. Like that's kind of the vibe that I get from Telluride every year. <laughs> it's like everybody everybody's just hanging out and we're just watching movies and then we're like talking up with like Guillermo del Toro or something. Like that just seems like the vibe of that festival. It's a really laid back festival. It's super expensive, but it's very, very laid back. I mm-hmm. can't emphasize that enough. I mean, there is a certain level of calmness that I feel from the environment itself being up in those mountains. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're completely isolated and secluded. I think the nearest airport is like an over an hour away, maybe maybe more than that. I can't remember. I've only been there once, mm-hmm. and I was dying to go back again this year. I, I just couldn't wait. Uh, but you know, unfortunately it didn't happen. So hopefully next year, but you, you know, which I was year you went. Yeah. Last, last, year. Year. last year. Oh, last year. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I was supposed to go to South by Southwest this year as well. That was going to be my first time going to South by Southwest. And un- I had everything lined up playing, uh, Airbnb. Uh, and then unfortunately, you know, that's when, uh, COVID like really struck and the festival right. got canceled. So, yeah, I mean, I was, I count myself very lucky to have gone to Sundance back in January because, I think I walked away from Sundance having seen close to 50 movies while I was there. And so I felt like I got like such a head start this year. And, right. you know, 
looking back on it, it's like, holy crap, if I hadn't gone to Sundance, like this year would just felt so desolate to me. Uh, but, you know, a lot of those movies are starting to see the light of day now. And a lot of them did get picked up by some of the streaming uh, platforms out there. And, you know, they have been seen by some people. So, you know, in the end, it's like we are all still waiting for a promising young woman right now, uh, which is my number one favorite film of the year. My favorite film I saw at Sundance. But, you know, you have other stuff like Minari will be coming from A24. Um, you know, we will eventually get to see um, the 40 year old version on uh, Netflix, for example. And, you know, the father uh, is making the rounds right now at the festivals. So, right. you know, all hope is not lost yet. You know, a lot of these movies sure. will see the light of day. And I'm, I'm sure that a lot of movies that got postponed out of 2020 and into 2021, the same thing applies. You know, it's like, yeah, it sucks. Yeah, we got to keep waiting. But, you know. We'll get we'll, there. We'll get there eventually. Yeah. And exactly. I mean, uh, but Aaron, how many films did you see? Like, you've been to other film festivals and like, are you consuming more movies now because of the online format um, than other than in years past? Uh, definitely. I like I used to do the Newport Beach Film Festival quite a bit and I'd see mm -hmm. a lot there. But as far as, you know, these big ones go, I've just I've never been anywhere beyond like the afi film fest and even then that's still me you know since i live outside of los angeles i'm still traveling to los angeles so there's not you know a, a huge you know amount of films i'm being able to see just because i'm just i'm not like i'm not commuting every day and i'm not like making it you know i'm not going to stay there or whatnot so i've you know i've seen my share of films uh my lovely girlfriend and i we, we've gone to the san diego film festival a few times as well and that's another one where they're they're doing it virtually this year so i'm curious mm -hmm. to see how that's going to go if i'm able to like see more assuming i even get a press thing for it or whatnot but yeah i just wanted to throw that one out there also nice yeah so this year yes because i've never been to tiff and now i've been to tiff essentially by getting a login to mm -hmm. see all these films via press and so i, I saw like 13 14 films at tiff just because i could squeeze in a lot at night essentially and watch a bunch of movies before you know doing work in the morning let alone writing about these um so yeah i was able to see you know quite a few at the toronto international film festival and then at new york i've seen only a couple um as of now but yeah i mean as far as this format goes it's allowed me to have a lot more access than i would have that's for sure yeah uh, I haven't seen any of them because I haven't been given this key, but, you know, I will. Um, <laughs> I, I want to ask you, Matt, specifically about the New York Film Festival. What what do you miss about the New York Film Festival? Like, physically miss about the going out into these theaters? Like, what are some things that you – what are some things or aspects that you miss about the New York Film Festival? As far as what I miss about New York, I mean, that's really tough for me to say because I live in New York. Mm -hmm. So – for me, whenever I take the subway and I actually go to uh, Lincoln Center, which is where most of the screenings take place, you know, for me, it's like, oh, like, here we go again, taking the subway stop, emerging from these subway steps. And here we are again. So, you know, I, there's not so much that I miss mm -hmm. necessarily, but I I miss on the whole being in an audience and watching a movie that yeah. that is something that when I tell you there are so many times where because I'm a very social person. So there are so many times where waiting for a movie or coming out of a movie, I'll just strike up a random conversation with somebody and just start talking about like, what did they like about it? Have they seen anything else recently? Where are they from? What mm. do they do? You yeah. know? And it's like, it's just a great way to network and meet people because you're all there for the same reason. You know, you're, you're kind of sharing this shared love of film and it's very infectious. Yeah, um, I can certainly agree with that. I'm just 
from the base level of going to a theater and, and seeing with an audience. And what about you? What do you miss about film festivals and or uh, what are aspects that you miss about film festivals and seeing people that you know? And also, like what Matt said, kind of networking. I mean, not a lot, honestly. I mean, the, like, there's, oh, okay. obviously, there's obviously, obviously there's the, you know, the experience of seeing a film in a theater for the first, like literally the first time because it's a film festival. So there's a, a very different feeling that can sometimes result in, you know, like a glow as far as not necessarily overrating, but having a enhanced opinion, shall we say, of certain movies. Um, oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, oh, film festival hyperbole is definitely a real thing. <laughs> for sure. And yeah. so like. Not, and, and so not not saying like i miss like that kind of but like having you know we're walking in to see or like say like last year say if i went to new york film festival last year and i was like one of the first people to see the irishman like there's you know you're not getting that kind of experience the same way you are you know this year um, it's one of the best experiences i think i've ever had in my entire life of doing this honestly because that was like one of my most anticipated movies like of my lifetime <laughs> and you like oh, when nice. you, you like stepped on joe pesci's shoe and he punched you out or something is that, is that the story? <laughs> I, I don't remember the exact details is that is i told him to go home and get a shine box but seriously i mean yeah the there is a kind of you're seeing world premieres of films that people just frankly haven't seen at all and there's a kind of like that's something special that you can't recreate in a virtual experience. You can watch, even if you're watching movies for the first time along a very, like if we're all screening Nomadland at the same time, cool. But at the same time, you're not, you know, you're not there. You're not there to like an audience, right. like doing that thing. So like that aspect I think is kind of lost on me as far as like, you know, the, the it's like the networking aspect or what have you. Like I'm doing the same thing when I go to like press screenings, obviously I'm not doing those either right now. And, and it's not like I'm specifically there to, to you know network. It's just more like I'm similar to Matt as far as we're here to watch movies. We generally like right. the same things, so I'm gonna you know I'm gonna talk about the things that we're gonna be about to do. Yeah, you know, um, you bring up Nomadland, and I just want to ask you guys very briefly, Matt, has there been like an experience where you've seen a movie at a film festival that has emotionally overwhelmed you and the audience as well, and you're just like sitting next to a stranger, and when the movie's done, you guys just give each other a, a stare of like understanding. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I've had that happen for sure. Oh, my God. I mean, this year alone, I had that happen with um, with uh, Anthony Hopkins, uh, the father, where I just looked over at someone and I had like my mouth agape and I just like I, I there was no words exchange but yeah basically subtextually we were telling each other that was one of the greatest performances like we've ever seen or uh, i remember one time i uh was at sundance and i walked out of hereditary and i well let me rephrase that i stumbled out of my screen <laughs> of hereditary because i was so shook you weren't you weren't climbing along the walls <laughs> i when i tell you i was just absolutely shook mm -hmm. i i don't really use that term lightly but like i was clenching my notebook of notes like to my chest i was walking so slowly and it wasn't because of the cold i just was so incredibly shook by that movie and yeah. somebody saw me and uh they legitimately were like uh oh, did you just come out of hereditary and i was like <laughs> what? and i was like what gave it away <laughs> you know uh, but yeah, no, there's definitely that feeling sometimes of when the credits roll and you're sitting with a buddy or something and you just, you know, you have that moment where you just are applauding and you look over and you just go, wow, you know, like sometimes words just words just fail and you are completely overwhelmed by it. For sure. Aaron, same, same thing with you. Have you had those experiences? Uh, not necessarily with like a, well, let me backtrack. Uh, so like, as you, as you 
recall Abe, I, I met Anna at the Newport Beach Film Festival back in 2014. Like that's where we met, and you know, been with her ever since. So, like, I, I see, might still have that text. So see, so, so seeing, you know, seeing movies with her as I have specifically, what, like we've gone to AFI Fest together a few times, like where we saw like we saw Patterson at the AFI Fest, which was my favorite film of 2016. 16? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 16. Um, and it's like having that kind of experience. And, you know, being with Anna, like, that's made me go that way for sure. Like, I haven't done enough film festival stuff, let alone, you know, been there with, like, random people enough to, like, have that kind of specific experience. But seeing things with Anna, like, that's certainly given me that kind of, like, I can't wait to talk to you more about this after we're, you know, out of the film festival type of type of feeling. Right. Well, let me switch it up now. And so I want to talk about something that you touched upon earlier, Matt, about the, the, uh, the way that this is being formatted. So this is a streaming format, and... Like what you mentioned, it's a specific time frame, right? I think you can only rent movies from 4 p.m. through whatever p.m. Uh, and you have 24 hours to watch them. I could be wrong, but I want to I want to ask you and open it up to you first, and then I'll, I'll ask Aaron. Like, what did you think about the formatting of TIFF and New York Film Festival? And if there's other details, please please give those. So far, honestly, I think it's been good because mm-hmm. the 48-hour window that you're given at tiff and now at new york film festival it it really does give you a sense of urgency and i i really have to get through this and i you know there's still that level of planning that goes into it where if the festival started on you know one day and it goes let's say you know 10 days or whatever it is and you had that entire time to watch all these movies a certain level of procrastination would probably set in with with a bit of it where mm-hmm. this window, it really does make you, you know, go, oh, my gosh, I really want to see this. The window is closing. Do I try to squeeze it in and then maybe get like four hours of sleep tonight, you know, before it expires in the morning? Or mm-hmm. do I get to bed like earlier and then watch it early in the morning before it expires? You know, it's like there's still some decision making involved with it. And I like that. I like that you have to make hard choices and that you are forced to. Because honestly, like sometimes, especially, you know, and Aaron could probably speak to this, too, considering how busy both of us are. You know, I I really do feel like we both need like pushes sometimes to do certain things. Otherwise, you know, we just get so wrapped up like in our day to day activities of everything else that is that we're working on that if we didn't have that little push, as a joker would say, uh, we wouldn't get anything done, probably. Mm -hmm. What about you, Aaron? Did you appreciate the format and did it feel as though it was pretty seamless? I definitely appreciate the format. I mean, the I do think it the necessity of a time frame is like obviously to help with like the lack of I guess uh, piracy or what have you. But it's also yes, it does give you a, you know a need to watch certain films at a certain time. Just like if you had a regular schedule, you can't just walk in you know to a two o'clock movie, five o'clock the next day. You have to walk into it when it's scheduled to be on. So like that, I think that's a get a good way to get around the fact that you're watching these things virtually. Um, honestly, though, my favorite thing about Tiff was that the watermarks were on the side of the screen. <laughs> that's my that's such my that's my favorite thing about this, as far as not having to see my name plastered in right big in letters middle. on the right yeah. in the middle of the screen. Oh my god, why it's can't a, everyone else just do that? It's please. the big that's the biggest like first world kind of problem, <laughs> as far as like what what made me happy about Tiff is the fact that yeah they have a reasonable handling on how to watermark the movies that you're watching. It's not distracting. I do Um, have one complaint though. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I do have one. I did not appreciate or like, and this happened on very select few movies, FYI, but I did not like when a link would be sent over and they would say, you have four hours to watch this before the link expires. 
And it's not like it's four hours from the time they send it to you. They specifically tell you what that four hour window is from this time to this time. You will be able to watch this movie. Oh, and by the way, the embargo is the next day. And and it's like, oh, uh, OK, I guess any ever plans I had now are gone for mm-hmm. that evening. <laughs> I, know, I know what you mean. And maybe the all of the sudden aspect can get to you but at the same time. Again, it's like if you're at a real film festival, they'd sell you, you know. It's at seven o'clock. Like what? You're not going to see it any other time. That's what it is. I, mean, I, I guess right. I, I guess I just wouldn't care. Like I said before, if mm-hmm. um maybe if I had just taken off from work for all of this, that's really sure. what it comes down to. Yeah, right that's. I, I mean, obviously, yes, life gets in the way, and frankly, and, and to your so... point, if this was a normal film festival, I wouldn't be thinking about that, and thus I wouldn't care. So yeah. I think that's where I think that's all <laughs> sure. where that's coming from. But as far as yeah. far as like the setup for virtual film festival watching goes, like no, I, I I was very happy with it, even given that I assume many people were watching around the world, like. I didn't have too many, you know, bumps in the streaming quality or what have you. So, sure. I, you know, I, I well, felt like they, you know, as far as planning for something like this, which I imagine takes a bit of doing to get it right, especially when you have a, you know, a global scale of people attending to some capacity. I think they did a good job. I'm very yeah. happy with how they handled it. And I think the, the, the follow-up question I have for both of you, Matt, to you first would be, after the movie was done, after you finished watching the movie, did you immediately go to Twitter or something like that to try and, see what other people's reactions were and write your own reactions like how did you how did you feed that uh that uh how did you satiate that side of the uh the movie going experience of like trying to talk about it with other people i don't look at people's reactions uh before i write my own um Mm -hmm. i just immediately whip out the phone and just type my reaction right away Mm -hmm. i look at the reactions afterwards and i think that's actually good because you know, sometimes you can be completely off base from what the general consensus is, and that's okay. 100%. And I find that nowadays there is this, like, problem that's happening on social media where you are in the love it or hate it territory, and there is no middle section for being gray <laughs> at all, and that's really, really bothersome to me. I and. I, I have such a great example of this because I know you very much hated Antebellum. I saw Antebellum way early back in July and was in a vacuum. It was like, I liked it just fine. Like, I I know what the issues are. I'm not, it's not a perfect move by any means, but I like more or less was like, yeah, it's fine. And so like seeing all of the negative reactions come out and it's all like grouped together. Uh, it's like, all right, <laughs> it's not bothering me. Like I know what my thought was, but uh, you know, there it is. And there's been a lot of good writing, not denying that, but I, uh, I know where I land with that one. But, yeah. I, yeah. but I know what you're saying as far as the online community goes and, like, getting a kind of consensus even before people have, like, you know, most people have even seen something. There's just already, like, a we know what this is. Like, that's it. And that's the end of the discussion. Well, what's really funny to me is, like, I'll type up a reaction, and sometimes when it doesn't align with the consensus, people will ask me why I don't feel that way. Mm-hmm. Or And that's, like, the funniest thing is, like, someone will, like, write to me and say, you know, everybody else really liked it. How come you don't like it? And I'll, my reply is, like, uh, because we're human and we're allowed to have, you know, this freedom Differing to think thoughts. however we want. Yeah, exactly. Like, wh- why does there have to be something wrong with me if right. I, you know, didn't particularly like this performance that everyone else is going crazy about or et cetera, et cetera, you know? My, my, and, reply, is, my reply is generally a yeah. week after, and it's like, well, here's a thousand words and two hours of talking on a podcast that could explain that for you. <laughs> well, know. actually, you know what, Aaron? I, I've learned that. Yeah, the reaction is that it's just a reaction. Mm-hmm. And when people are always asking me for follow ups and stuff, I'll I'll usually say to them, hey, listen, we'll have a podcast about this. I'll be able to express in more than 250 characters, you know, my exact reasoning for my thoughts. And, you know, 
through the conversation I have with the other people on there. Maybe I'll change my mind during that podcast. Maybe I'll realize something I didn't realize and think that that's, you know, a better way to even just view the damn thing, you know, whatever which it is, is. Which is true. Like, I, I yeah. write stuff and, like, sometimes my opinion either strengthens or, or lessens on a film based off the fact that I'm suddenly exploring my mind more as far as what do I think I, about this? What do I want to yeah. say beyond just the initial thoughts I had in a, you know, in a kind of like, oh, I just saw this and here's what I think. Like, it goes a well, little further. Let me ask you a quick follow-up. How do you shield yourself during an actual film festival? Is it that you just write your notes down in the theater before you leave the theater? Yes. Okay, okay. Got I'm it. just really good at, like, blinding myself on certain things when it comes to, like, Twitter. Like, mm-hmm. I know, like, I have a feed that has a lot of people, you know, it's a film Twitter type feed. So it's a lot of people that are expressing things on these kinds of films that we're all kind of watching at the same time. And I can just, I don't know, my my eyes just go to a title, and if I haven't said anything or haven't, like, formed my own super neat opinion yet, I'm just like, I can just kind of glance and be like, all right, let's keep moving here. I'm not going to focus too much on what some person said right now. Right. Like, that's just not my priority. Like, I've, you know, Tenet's been out for, what, a month now? A month? I, yeah. I have no idea what that movie's about. I don't know anything in it beyond what I've seen in the trailers. <laughs> like, I've, I've done yeah. an amazing job of not learning anything about a new Christopher Nolan movie. <laughs> so, right. like, I, I think I can handle this pretty well. Yeah. Well, let's move into a fun question here. What is your home setup like, and do you think that you need to upgrade it to watch more movies at home? Oh my God, yes. <laughs> okay, okay. Is it, you're not watching it like on a tube TV though, right? <laughs> no, I so I'm watching. Yeah, so I mean, this is just the limitations of just living in a New York apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have like a couch or anything. I just have my bed. And so most of the time when I'm watching stuff, I am airplaying it from the computer to the TV and laying on my bed and watching it that way. Mm-hmm. I try not to do any of my film festival watches uh, in the common room because, well, quite frankly, you know, sometimes you'll be watching something and, you know, people are coming in and out right. and, you know, just there's that interruption and uh, a break of focus then. And then also, I'm also kind of like taking up that TV from other people that might want to watch something. And quite honestly, when they see what I'm watching, they will be like, I don't know why you're watching this. It's a black and white movie about a pig for 90 minutes. Like, what are you doing? And that's Gunda, by the way, from Neon. Uh, (laughs) That was was so trying to quickly scatter my mind to find the best joke answer for that. But I I couldn't do it. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I mean that's yeah so i do i need to upgrade absolutely what does that mean that means i just got to get a new apartment basically <laughs> oh that, that's a that's a heavy investment though matt <laughs> i know so that ain't happening anytime soon how about you Aaron? pretty pretty uh fun decent setup well after you guys all like after i when i won the summer gamble last year and you guys uh-huh. threw in all that money to get me the out now thrones so i could watch movies from for now on like that's yeah, it, really it, worked it's, out it's made from the the same leather as the game of thrones throne yeah exactly like it, and it's all it's it's shaped in all the instead of swords for that throne it's all the movie posters of the films i correctly predicted would win on the uh, summer gamble <laughs> that's uh, incredible it'd be <laughs> would that be amazing uh i mean no i just i have my entertainment room and i basically stream the uh the Similar to Matt, I, I don't airplay, I just connect the, I just mirror the screen onto my TV so I can not watch it on a small little TV, uh, computer screen, but watch it on my larger TV and right. have a good enough. And that's, an, again, that's another good thing about, at least what I've seen from TIFF, the quality is very good for streaming. Like, I'm very, like, watching, like, I don't know, uh, Wolf Walkers is a very colorful movie and, you know, animated, what have you. It looked great on my TV, streaming mm-hmm. from a computer over the internet where, you know, I assume thousands of others are also watching. So I was, you know, happy with the quality. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, let's move into the the categories now. This is uh, where we're going to give out some awards. And uh, Matt, for Toronto or New York, you can choose. Um, you can have both uh, of them as well. Who do you give the uh, Outstanding Writing uh, Award to? Which film and which which writer? From all of the festivals, uh, Toronto and New York yeah, you can and just Venice. Combine, combining you, all yeah, of you can combine it, yeah. or you can uh, give it separate. Oh, man. Uh, okay, so this would be a original or adapted screenplay? Yeah, yep. we don't need to go too far. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, hmm. I really, really like the writing in One Night in Miami. Nice. I'm just going to okay. say I agree with you right now so I don't overlap too much. That would be my pick right now for the writing. Because I think that the ideologies that uh, these four great men like all talk about in that uh, in that in that hotel room are it, it's just riveting to watch. And uh, Kingsley Benadir, I think, is like one of the standouts of the festival. I really, really do hope that he gets a push uh, from that film because I think he is just outstanding as Malcolm X in that movie so much. And he really, really does sell the dialogue just so well. But if nobody from the cast ends up getting nominated or even if the film doesn't get a Best Picture nomination or anything for that matter, I I still believe that the adapted screenplay uh, nomination is the film's best shot, probably. Yeah. Would you guys both say that it's like dialogue where it's very thoughtful? Deep, thoughtful. Okay. Got it. Aaron, yeah. you, you had the, the same uh, award? Yeah, if I was picking an overall winner for just for just for writing um yes mm -hmm. i would say one night in miami has a very good script and you know, the interactions the kind of things they're tackling um i i think it all it's it, it's really interesting i found i found it to be yeah. i have other things to say but i don't want that there's other categories to get into also <laughs> but, um. uh could you give me your screener link so i can see this <laughs> um let's, let's move to the next one here uh, well wait, wait, I, Matt, there's yeah, there's yeah. runner-ups right i i i had a I want to. I just wanted to point one out because there's a film called Shiva Baby. Oh, Matt, did you see Shiva Baby? I was so happy that I saw <laughs> Shiva Baby. Oh my God, was that hysterical? I mean, it's very much for a Jewish audience, so I was I was very happy to watch the film and be like, this is fun. I, I get what you're doing. But here's the thing, though. I grew up on Long Island, New York, and uh -huh. that's like Jewish mom heaven. So a lot of the behaviors and, th and things that were going on in that movie, I've seen that like mm -hmm. in person. And also too, I come from an Italian family and like Italian mothers and uh, you know, just family households are also very, very similar to this, even though uh, the cultures are definitely different, but just, I, I, I believe me, very relatable in a lot of ways, regardless of the fact that I'm not Jewish. <laughs> to, to, to clarify, Abe, to tell you what Shiva Baby is, it's basically, it's a film, it's based on a short film by the same director who's expanded it to this feature-like thing, where it's a, a young woman, I think she's in, she's trying to go to college or whatnot, she's, uh, she has to attend it, she has to sit Shiva uh, for, uh -huh. a, a, like, a family friend who's passed away. So she and her family, they go to this Shiva service, like, reception, um, and among the people there, she has a, for, like, a, an estranged friend of hers the man she's currently having an affair with who turns out to be married and with a new baby as oh, well as yeah. the various other people all around that kind of know her from childhood and the whole thing is basically set during this shiva and it's very funny it's very it's it's i think the writing's very sharp as far as making it both cringy but also like just like it just genuinely very funny yeah and you and you have the great yeah fred melamed uh who's always welcome in any movie as her dad and that's just very fun also. what's this movie called again uh shiva baby shiva baby okay or shiva baby i guess shiva true. baby not not exactly what i was originally thinking but um now it makes sense yeah. it, it made sense both ways so um uh, 
let's go into the next category here. Uh, Matt, who is the uh, who do you give the award for outstanding actor, male and female, separate awards uh, for the movies that you've seen so far? Oh, male, it's one hundred thousand percent Anthony Hopkins for The Father, hands mm-hmm. down. And for female, hmm, there's a lot of really good choices here. I think a lot of people will say Francis McDormand for Nomadland. However, I'm going to break away from that, and I am actually going to single out a performance in a movie that I don't know if a lot of people saw this, but it's called Quo Vitus Aida. Mm-hmm. And the lead actress in this movie, um, I, you know, it, it sucks. I don't, it, I think her name is like Jasna uh, Durikic. I, I, I got to get the pronunciation right. But essentially the movie is about a uh, UN uh, worker who is trying her hardest to protect her uh, husband and two sons during the uh, Bosnian genocide. Oh. And it's really riveting stuff and her performance just broke me i mean this was some really really powerful movie making and i really really hope it gets uh thrusted into the best international feature conversation uh but that's an unsung performance that you know no one's going to talk about so i'm happy to mention it here i dig it i dig it i'm glad that you, uh you went against the with francis and gorman there but still I dig that, uh, you know, you're uh, shooting your shot. Um, Aaron, what about you? Uh, Outstanding actor, male and female, for movies that you've seen? Uh, For female, it would be Francis McDormand. I I mean, there's a lot of good performances I've seen, but I mean, (laughs) Nomadland's just really good, and she's obviously very good in it. And I I especially think it works because of how different it feels from her previous two Oscar wins, um, where you have Fargo and three billboards outgoing i mean outgoing for fargo and then just kind of uh, very much driven to make a point through her dialogue is very much part of three billboards where this movie it's very internalized like she is talking she is having conversations with people but there's a lot more introspection and a lot more just emoting and understanding things based off her actions versus you know her explaining how she's feeling at every turn that i think really inform what's going on with this movie and with the kind of style that chloe Zhao brings to it the director um i i think it just harp it just kind of works to provide a, a just a really strong another really strong performance for mcdormand mm-hmm. um, as far as actors goes i have not seen the father yet um so i, I unfortunately can't you know when when you I, do and you start bawling at the end of it please text matt okay and yeah. see, there's another thing i know very little about the father beyond i assume there's something sad that's happening and there's a, you know anthony Hopkins is doing a thing but I, i've tried to avoid knowing too much more about the film from there um but with that said um it is for mads mickelson and thomas Vinterberg's another round oh yeah um i was a huge fan of the hunt back in 2012 i think you might recall that abe i was championing yeah. that film yeah. as much as and when it just the fact that it got an oscar nomination i was like i'm so happy about this yeah. by the way super, i saw that film, super uncomfortable movie <laughs> for sure i saw that film by the way at the newport beach film festival <laughs> so, hey, yeah. um but no and so him reteaming with vinzenberg again another just really great performance and it's so much like the hunt like he's just playing like average guy like he's not playing anyone particularly special he's just like a guy he's a teacher and he and his friends concoct this scheme, and they go through it, and it's a terrible idea, and terrible things happen, in addition oh, to no. some things that are somewhat 
there's some levity, but it's really like more about how far down the spiral can we go? But through all of this, Mads Mikkelsen is just so good in this movie. <laughs> like he's okay. so he's so like he's natural, but yet you you see the conflict in him, you see the things he's going through, you see the way he interacts with his family and his friends, and it all just comes together really well. Like whatever he and Vinterberg are cooking up together, like I'm I'm into it. I mean I'm into what they're gonna do because I, I really like this collaboration. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think it was as good as the hunt, but I really did enjoy it quite a bit actually. I, yeah, and I, I thought agree. that yeah. it's um I really thought that its exploration of like the human condition through the social experiment that they were doing was actually quite enlightening and mm-hmm. very interesting to say the least. Sure. You know, I, I do want to just give one little disclaimer and that is I have not yet seen French exit at the New York film festival. So I reserve the right to mention Michelle Pfeiffer. If indeed she knocks it out of the park. And if we will put an months. asterisk uh, when we upload this, that's the yeah. film with her. And what is it? Luke, Lucas hedges, Lucas hedges. And, Wait a minute, it gets even better than this. Um, oh, wait a minute, what's his name? Tracy Letts, Tracy Letts, thank you. Oh, oh so wow. I, I, but but wait, though, Tracy Letts is playing a cat. What? He's like, voicing think, a cat. Oh, voicing, so he's not digitally mocapping it with digital yeah. technology? To We're not him. doing uh, the Tom Hooper <laughs> shit, now. Yeah, he's not, he's not doing uh, Judah Dench, though. <laughs> But when the second I said that, the listeners are like, wait, is he, though? Because I would see Jason that Jason <laughs> Yeah. Um, did you guys have a, a runner-up in both these categories? You don't have to, but is there a runner-up, one person, male, female, um, from the acting categories? Matt? Uh, Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman. There you go. I think that that movie is a little too melodramatic at times. Yeah. But I thought that her performance is what ultimately kept it together. Mm-hmm. And I also want to shout out on the male side. Um, hmm. I did. I, you know what? I did mention uh, Kingsley Bedadier a, a second ago. Yeah. But, you know, this movie got trashed. Um, I really thought that Mark Wahlberg was quite good <laughs> in Good Joe Bell. And it's not great work necessarily, but by Mark Wahlberg standards, it is good work. It's like the most emotionally vulnerable, like I've ever seen him like on screen before. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, I don't know if that movie will now get distribution considering, like I said, how much it just got completely destroyed by critics. Who been, it was don't... picked up by um, Solstice Studios who put out Unhinged earlier. Are you serious? Yeah, Solstice Studios picked it up. Yo, with Unhinged and now this, they are really, really the, making a case for, like, Film Twitter's number one most hated studio. The, the marketing campaign is going to be insane, though. That's what I'm thinking for this one. Like, I've seen the Unhinged, though. So, oh, my gosh. To clarify, too, Abe, for you, um, Good Joe Bell is his drama, stars Mark Wahlberg. It's based on a true story. He's yeah. basically playing a man who's marching across America to to speak up against bullying because of his, his, his gay son who um, – who suffered at the hands of bullying? I'll put it right. put it there. There's some various reveals that go on, but just to say, it is a film that's about Mark Wahlberg doing this action, and I, I agree with Matt. I mean, I don't think I don't think the film's particularly good. I do think Mark Wahlberg is quite good in it, even mm-hmm. if it's not my favorite version of Mark Wahlberg. My favorite version of Mark Wahlberg is uh, the the kind of, the kind with a chip on his shoulder, <laughs> the guy that's very the guy needy. with the chip on his shoulder, the guy that's very needy and insecure. That's my favorite role of Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> I, I just appreciated the fact that he tried. Yeah, that's like that's like my that's like my big takeaway ultimately is that I, I appreciate that he tried, and I also predict too. You know, I don't know I don't know what it's going to do necessarily in this COVID world, but if COVID wasn't a factor and this was a normal year. 
I have a huge feeling that this is exactly the kind of movie that would play well with general audiences, especially in middle America. And, you know, once again, I, I the, the film Twitter reaction did not surprise me at all. Interesting. Yeah. So no courtesy honks, just a full on honk here. Huh? <laughs> I got the joke. I, I didn't know what you meant at first, but I it, like took me a second. <laughs> yeah, it's unhinged. Um, yeah. Well, let, let's move on to um, outstanding director. Wait, I didn't get to. I yeah, get yeah. some runner ups. Oh, yeah. um, yeah. <laughs> That's a good joke. Though. <laughs> um, as far as a uh, support uh, runner up react, I mean, I agree with uh, Matt. Uh, Vanessa Kirby is very good in pieces. That's like the, that's the that's the main thing about that film that really works. That and I think some of the aspects of the directing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as far as male performance goes, I I really want to say Bill Murray and On the Rocks because he's like his loosest he's been in years, and he's very funny in that film. That's the new Sofia Coppola yeah. film. Yeah, he's he's yeah. very good in it because of just how like he still gets that like. I'm, you know, I've been more dramatic for the past couple decades, and you can really see that in the performance. But he's still also really funny here, and I think that goes, you know, there's plenty of credit to go to to, to comedy just as much as there's drama, and, and like, in Bill Murray pulls off both aspects, I think, very well. But I'm gonna pivot and say, I, I know you like uh, the, the actor playing Malcolm X in One Night Miami. I think Leslie Odom Jr. is really good in One Night. Oh, Miami. he's my runner-up in that. Yeah, I, I, I think he's really good in that. I think he has just as tricky as a role as far as being one who's both a kind of a respected black figure to some degree, but also contending with the fact that the other characters he's interacting with have kind of, they've dug in more on the fact that they are black people that happen to be famous as opposed to him, where he's kind of been more in this neutral zone. That's slowly, slowly realizing what his presence in America really means. I think there's a lot going on there. Plus he's Leslie Odom jr. He can sing and he gets to sing as Sam Cooke. And that's always fun. Oh, nice. Um, well, great. Let's move into Best Director here, or Outstanding Director, um, because we can't steal Best Director because it's copyrighted. Um, so, <laughs> Outstanding Director, Matt, who is who did you give this award to for Outstanding Director? Uh, I don't want to sound like a broken record here, but I thought what Florian Zeller did with The Father was completely mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we talk a lot about, like, stage to screen adaptations, a lot of times the direction is the number one thing that suffers right away because the film has an inability to open the film up a bit. And with The Father, there is so much trickery going on using uh, cinematic tools like editing, like production design, that it was an experience that was so immersive in a way like Memento was where the editing and the structure of the movie really made you, the audience feel what the main character was feeling. And the father succeeds in doing that exact thing as well. And it's just, it's pretty incredible uh, to say the least. I think that he's a dark horse to actually break into the uh, director conversation, but uh, runner up would definitely be, you know, it's funny because I I want to say my runner up is uh, Steve McQueen for the small acts anthology. But a mm-hmm. it's that, you know, there's multiple movies, uh, B their television movies and C it's not over yet. So I'll I'll single out uh, Chloe Zhao for uh, Nomadland because I Thanks. I mean, come on, <laughs> you know, the praise <laughs> is already there and everybody's already hyping it up and stuff. So we all know. But yeah. to say that this is, I think, a more. I, I think it is a step up from the writer, uh, which I quite liked. But when I say yep. a step up, I think it's the same style as the writer, but with a – how do I say this? But, like, with a story that's going to be a little bit more, uh, I think, ex- like, accessible. Accessible, yeah, for a, a, not a mainstream audience, but just maybe just more for the film uh, 
critic circles like in general, mostly because of this, of the uh, presence of Francis McDormand. I'll throw and, this out there. This the writer was Abe's yeah. favorite movie of that year. Yeah, I was gonna say it was uh, my favorite movie from like a couple years ago. So yeah, and yeah. the cinematography in this is just, I mean, my god. <laughs> yeah. I, I can step I, in. I'm very excited this, to see it. I'm trying to keep my expectations low. This is this is my pick as well. I do think the the writer is the best directed film that, no, or at least it's my, it's, my it's sorry. <laughs> yes, no bad. Sorry, no bad. Land is my is my pick. Um, as far as as far as the films I've seen, because I have not again, I haven't seen The Father. I haven't seen a couple of films that mm-hmm. I know could be contenders. But no, I, I do think that No Bad Land is is just wonderfully well well assembled. I think it does a great job of. Does a great job in a lot of ways. I don't want to get. I guess I don't want to get too far into it because I know Abe, you're going to see it, and then we'll probably eventually have an episode, have on, an episode point, on it. So I, I, can, yeah. I can I can table some of that conversation. Okay. Did you have a runner-up, Aaron? It's because yeah, I have like a top ten list to tip, but like, am I thinking my number two is also the second best directed film? Maybe. Because uh, I do really, I do really like Another Round with from Thomas Vinterberg. Um, mm-hmm. I do think it. I I think the way he's made this film to kind of ramp up as far as these characters just i guess to clarify that movie so um mads bickleson plays a teacher he has three other friends who are also teachers and they decide what if we just were constantly having alcohol in our bloodstream and see how that affects our lives um, and it's insane and as they find success in doing this they're like well let's increase the amount of alcohol we have in our blood system and it's like all of these are bad decisions, but I think what Vinterberg does is really well as far as um, kind of establishing what what the stakes are here, how these characters are dealing with all of this, and kind of increasing that in a way where I think there's a couple other films that I've seen that you know want to kind of delve into heavier topics but don't seem to have a best, the best idea of how to balance the tone for that. I think this one does that really well. Okay, nice. Now let's get into the, the meat here where the best film – and for this one – what are your two runners up, and then who is the winner of the best film that you've seen uh, from these film festivals, uh, Matt? Uh, all right. So the best film I've seen from the film festivals, I would say, uh, yeah, it's got to be Nomadland. Okay. Followed by The Father, and you know what? There is a movie that just recently got picked up by Netflix that I'm a huge fan of called I Care a Lot, and it stars Rosamund Pike and. Peter Dinklage, Diane Weist, Chris Messina. I think I've heard of this one, yeah. yeah. This movie is, in my opinion, this was like the Knives Out of the Toronto Film Festival this year in terms of it just being an audience mainstream studio film that had laughs, it had twists and turns and, you know, some badass performances in it. And I really, really, really dug it. I know it wasn't like the most well-reviewed of the festival by some people, but there was this entertaining quality to it that I just kept on eating up while watching, and I really, really enjoyed it a lot. I agree that it's entertaining. I don't okay. Think I don't think it's a bad movie. I, but, I, <laughs> but I don't think it's – I'm saying I don't think it's a bad movie. I do agree that it's very entertaining. Mm-hmm. And, and that was the thing, too, because like after watching like so many movies that were done in this art house sensibility and were – little slow in their pacing and also sometimes we're like on the verge of greatness but didn't quite get there like Nomadland did necessarily it was so refreshing for me to just see a mid-budget studio film that was just all about being entertaining and having fun and that like that was really really important to me and I did not see really any other movies at the Toronto Film Festival this year that had that same kind of a vibe okay uh Aaron, what about you runners up and and winner for best picture or I mean, the win- people's the win- choice 
the winner's Nomadland. I mean, that's, that's uh-huh. yeah. easy. Yeah, I mean, me. it's, so it's like it's, it just stands out. Indisputable. Um, I've mentioned another round enough already, so I want to. I'll pivot to two other films that I really uh, like and appreciate. Um, one is Wolfwalkers. Yes. Uh, this is the new animated film from the what's cart cartoon saloon i believe it's the this dude that hmm. brought up um, like secret of the kells and song of the sea they do mm-hmm. this kind of I'm not, i don't think it's hand-drawn i think it's computer but they, it just has this very but it does look kind of it has this like unique kind of been, like yeah con- almost like almost like concept art kind of style that's animated yeah um, but i do think it's it might be my favorite one of the like i know the breadwinner i really like that film as well I, I think that's a different. That was a different director, though. It's the it's the same director as I did the other two films I already mentioned. Um, I think this might be their best one. I really like this film. I think it's very alive with color and animation. It's animation style and what it's doing, and it tells a good story that um, I think hits on some interesting themes. But it's buried under the fact that it's set in medieval times about people that are against wolves outside of their outside of their walls. I think you can already draw some parallels if you think about that for a second. But I mean I think the movie does a good job of being like generally entertaining for an all audience kind of crew and doesn't shy away from certain darker elements that you'd see in, you know, older Disney animated movies or older animated movies in general that, you know, weren't afraid to sanitize themselves for the sake of being clean and friendly for everybody. I think it has mm-hmm. some cool things going on there. Um the other film is a documentary, it's MLK FBI um, this is a film that I think it's MLK slash FBI, right? Yeah, I, you know. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, it's it's the film that <laughs> that that features um, a lot of footage of Martin Luther King Jr. and it deals with how Hoover, J. Edgar Hoover, was just like militant in his his plan to kind of discredit him, find every way possible to kind of make him look bad by tapping right. him at every aspect, every chance he could. And it's you know on the one hand it's not necessarily eye opening, but it's just a reminder that the racism and segregation problems that afflicted America specifically during the, you know, sixties, fifty, what have you, that was not just contained to, you know, the South. Like that was very much a part of America as a whole. And I think the film does a good job of reminding you of that at the same time though, while there's a lot of like America, come on kind of feelings going on. There's also a, look at all this footage of Martin Luther King being just amazing. Like, and that just really like made me feel good. Like, despite the fact that I'm dealing with a movie that's shedding light on how much the American government is against a, you know, a revolutionary leader. Who's one of the greatest heroic figures of all time. It also made me feel good of just seeing this man doing so much and like hearing him be human and what have you. Like all of that just felt really, I guess reassuring in a time where I don't have figures like that I can really call to mind from present day as much in the same way by any means. Yeah, I was gonna say, you know, um, at first when I was watching that movie, I was a little worried at first because I didn't know if I necessarily liked the kind of tone that the documentary was taking uh-huh. in criticizing Martin Luther King, and I really thought that the documentary was like taking this side that was well, let's just say it was questionable to say the least. But by the end of the movie, I really did kind of walk away with this theme, which was we're all human and we're all flawed and we all fuck up and we all make mistakes. And there is not a single person in this world that is a goddamn saint, unless if you're Mother Teresa. So I think that that's totally okay because at the end of the day, it's our actions that define who we are. Mm -hmm. And nobody exemplifies that more than uh, Martin Luther King. And the documentary does a great job of illustrating that. So by the end, I was won over when that became like the kind of like the central thesis of the movie. But leading up to it, I was like, this documentary is like doing everything in its power to like discredit like Martin Luther King right now. And like, what? Why? (laughs) You know? Right. 
kind of gave you like a weird feeling of like, am I? It was this made by like a right wing group that I don't like. It's not going that far, man. I don't. I don't think it's going that far, but I. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. think it's 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 painting a very specific picture, but I don't think I wouldn't even say it's discrediting. It's just more of showing this viewpoints where you it's it's like any movie where it's not you know it's not spelling out the idea for you right up front it's just saying here's this look at this and you can see where the issue is and it's not with martin luther king it's with how people are treating him how like how what the reaction is to someone that's daring to defy the system because of unfair practices and so and that is like the messed up part of it but then when you think a lot about just like our our current political landscape and like how willing uh the right is to use like literally any detail they possibly can to discredit someone's character i think that was what my mind immediately went to while watching it and why i started getting like a little Mm -hmm. touchy-feely about like the subject matter as a result of that because i I was like how dare you like try to you know illustrate martin luther king was anything other than the great man that history has clearly made him to be you know and but then, like I said, by the time we got to the end and I realized, oh, you know what? George Washington was a flawed guy. Martin Luther King was a flawed guy. Like all yeah. these people gonna... throughout history, you know, yeah, it's like I was they're gonna all add flawed. That too. I was going to add that, too, because I haven't seen it. So I haven't I can't give like a full review of it. And but I was going to say, like, you know, every, like what you said earlier, Matt, you know, everybody has fuck ups and everybody is complicated and complex at times, you know, um, even those that we hold in high esteem like john f kennedy or what have you right you know there's philandering aspects of him um and there's also like other aspects of like maybe he was put into power only because of his his dad or or what have you right sure um so yeah i mean i i would love to kind of see this and i was gonna say like the only thing that i could say is this is sort of touched upon in selma um where yeah there you definitely have the aspect of uh, there's recordings of potentially Martin Luther King having affairs, right? And that brings sent to his wife. It's very much showing how Hoover's like, we're just planning this. We're yeah, we're yeah no, I, I understand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I understand. But it's just more of like, you know, there, there's these, like, Selma doesn't paint, or it gives, it gives more complexity to Martin Luther King. Jr. No, you're right. Yeah, yeah. It, it so, does make, it makes him very human as well. I, I rewatched right. it fairly yeah. recently, saying, and, and it's just. That movie's so good. It's, I'm so annoyed with yeah. like David Oyelowo not getting the credit he deserved for that movie because he very much does a great job of presenting him as a man, as we're talking about. As yeah. it is, so. And speaking of which, I really, really liked his directorial uh, debut. Yeah, The Waterman. Yeah. Yeah. I thought as far as like a mature kids film goes, a family film, like that was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yes. I agree. And yeah, to, to clarify, yes, the David Oyelowo directed a film. He also co-stars in it called The Waterman. I believe is it. I know it's like produced by Oprah. Is it? I is it a Disney release? Is it gonna be like Disney Plus or something? Do you know, Matt? Do you have any? I don't remember hearing that, but I will say that I think it is. Uh, to me, my mind immediately went to uh, Apple. I thought it would be a great choice for Apple. I TV. can see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know it, maybe it was an earlier conversation. I know that there at some point it was a it was a planned Disney release, but I don't know if that's changed just because of the times. So things happen. But it like it harkened back to, you know, those kind of kids films that you would see like in the eighties that, yes. you know, were mm-hmm. made for families, but the themes that they dealt with were heavy enough, but not too too heavy and dark that adults would get something out of them as well. And you know, in, in a, a modern movie that like reminded me of that also was like a Monster Calls, yes. for example. Ah, okay. Yeah. And it, is... it, it struck a very similar type of tone for me uh, with that movie. So I, I'm I a agree. big fan of that. 
yeah i i i agree with you as far as the kind of film it's trying to be and like what yeah i, I referenced monster call i think we probably both did in our re respective reviews uh, of said film but uh this one is it's less dreary than a monster calls which i yeah, do really yeah. like but it certainly you know it still has like you know kids parents are going through some really tough things and we need to deal with that somehow that's kind of the yeah. movies that they're trying to be mm-hmm well, let's go into the last award here. Matt, what is the Matt Neglia Special Achievement Award? Uh, who'd you give it to, and, and what is this award? Like, what is the criteria for it? Oh, my God. Uh, I was not prepared for that. Uh, so, Special Achievement <laughs> Surprise! Award. Yeah, right? Um, and like I was saying earlier, I think it's unfair for me to say this right now because it's not fully done, but based on what I've seen so far, I think what Steve McQueen is doing with the Small Axe Anthology series with Lover's Rock, Mangrove, and we're going to get a chance to see Red, White, and Blue in a couple of days here. I believe that if this level of quality is maintained throughout all of these mini movies that are being released for this, I really think that the small acts anthology will be looked upon as, or at least on a similar level as something like the Decalogue, <laughs> as far as like a true masterwork from a filmmaker that is just such a cinematic achievement of storytelling. I really, really feel that vibe happening right now with what Steve McQueen is creating. Are these are these mini movies though? Or are they full length features that happen so, to be a part of an anthology? Yeah. So Lovers Rock was like barely over an hour long. Uh huh. So it's tough to say because Mangrove, which recently got released, is uh, two hours long. Uh huh. And so so I, it's flexible, I, I guess. Is what yeah. <laughs> it's very very it's unusual to say the least. But you know, in Steve McQueen's eyes, these are all movies you know, that he shot designed to be their own individual movies, but by the very nature of them coming out on Amazon prime um, in this format as an anthology, this isn't like the ballad of Buster Scruggs where they're all stitched together in one package. They are all separate viewing. So I do think that because of the Oscar rules this year, there might be some gray area where maybe they could submit one for Oscar consideration and maybe save the others for the Emmys next year if they really wanted to. It's a really, really great area. But based on everything that I've heard so far, it's going to be uh, for the Emmys next year and not for the Oscars. But I don't think that that should take away from the achievement. As I said before, I think the storytelling here is on a level of quality, empathy and just filmmaking sensibility that is just far and away above everything else that I've been seeing lately. Wow. Oh, very cool. I, yeah, I'm very much looking forward excellent. to seeing an anthology series of films from Steve McQueen. Aaron, <laughs> <So. laughs> uh, what about you? What is the Air New World Special Achievement Award? Um, it would go to On the Rocks for having the best car chase. Since okay. uh, <laughs> 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 uh, since Bullet <laughs> uh, of of the year that I've seen, okay. probably. Um, it's a very thin yeah. field. I'm really trying to think of that now, but I mean, at least as far as film festival hopes go, it has the best car chase. There's a, oh, you there's know what? A... Extraction had a pretty good sequence. I remember with the car. I suppose so. Yeah, I'm going. I'm going specifically with the film festival films. Yes, the, the fair enough. On the Rocks gets the best car chase award because there's a, there there is. A, I'm not gonna go too far into it. But there's a sequence where Bill Murray and Rashida Jones pile into an old Alfa Romeo, um, complete with Bill Murray wearing a nice hat, and, and it's a convertible, and they're driving around New York after a certain destination. Let's say and it's it's very enjoyable and it's also because like sofia coppola shot it in new york it just like feels the way she's shooting it it's very much 
it's kind of thrilling to watch. Like as far as a, a a drive with Bill Murray through New York goes, it felt like a intense car chase at times based off like how it was being filmed and swerves he's making around corners and stuff like that. So I was very, very much entertained by this. I, I dig it. <laughs> I wasn't sure at first if you were joking or not, but you're not. <laughs> I, I gave this some hard thinking. <laughs> Well, with all that, thanks for answering those. Uh, thanks for giving out those awards and also answering those questions. Are there uh, large takeaways that you guys have for these film festivals? I mean, like, are is there a proposed time frame that you guys think that um, is going to be safe? Or are you guys going to be traveling to other ones? Like, what is the future of film festivals for the rest of 2020, but also probably maybe into like half of 2021? I have two hard takeaways based off films I've seen or I want to see, and there's another hard. And I'll get to another hard takeaway as far as what to come. But the, the one of the biggest hard takeaways is I cannot wait to see David Byrne's American Utopia because I'm a huge Spike Lee fan and I can't wait. And I like David Byrne a lot. So I, I everything I've heard about that just makes me like, get this to me now. I need this in my system. <laughs> so that's that's one of the things. Uh, and the other that's film related, there's a film called Concrete Cowboy with Idris Elba. Uh, I'm very happy that the thing that he's a part of in that movie exists in real life. And what they're doing is really intriguing to me. And I'll just yes. leave it at that. I'll, I'll I'll put a link in the show notes to what they are. But he's there in the film. He's a part of this kind of inner city cowboy coalition, to say the least. That's about helping America's youth, or at least Philadelphia's youth. Um, so I, I just wanted to shout that out. As far as things I've taken away, as far as the as far as the future goes, you know, we we have the Venice segment coming up where we'll talk with Alex about how right. he actually went to Venice. But I am very much intrigued by the success of these virtual film festivals. I'm not going to say it should stay forever, but I do like that in the, you know, looking at everything that's gone, that's been negative this year at the very least in regards to something like this, I'm happy that there's an experience being had by people to see films that they otherwise wouldn't have seen during this time of year. Uh, typically, I like that. That's an option that's available for this one time. Like if that, I don't necessarily need that to be the thing that happens all the time, but as far as, hey, people are all connecting because of this kind of thing right now, and it's at least one thing that can, we can see as positive during various times of crisis. That's There's something I can look at and see like a positive in that. I agree with Aaron. You know, it is uh, the devil some of the time, not all the time for me, uh, <laughs> in that it's not something that I prefer, but that aspect of still being able to bring people together and give us something that, quite frankly, we really, really do need right now as we're going through some very tough times at the moment. Um, I am so appreciative that these festivals have happened. Are they at the level of quality of previous film festivals? No, but there are still some really, really good movies uh, to be seen here. It's also great that the documentary and foreign language uh, film race uh, for the Oscars is starting to take some shape after Cannes was canceled earlier this year. So we're starting to see some contenders emerge from that. So that's very exciting. But mostly on the whole, I'm just really, really glad that it has happened and it has worked as well as it has. As far as the future goes, to, to Aaron's point, yeah, I think it's a good tool to have for moving forward, but I don't want it to become the norm. Right. I think I think if things ever do return back to normal and we are able to go back to theaters, I don't think that this should ever be whipped out again unless it's under a very extremely, extremely extraneous uh, circumstances. Uh, but, you know, God forbid we're still going through this a year from now and this option is still available to us and we aren't able to go back to theaters. It's proven that it works. So right. that's that's a good thing. Great answers from you both. Yeah, very cool. Well, Matt, thank you very much for joining thank us to you, talk Matt. about the uh, the TIFF and the New York Film Festival scene. Yeah, no, really. Thank you guys so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. 
For sure. Where can people find more of your work online? So I'm over at Next Best Picture. I mean, I'm located pretty much everywhere on social media. Nextbestpicture.com is the website. The podcast is called the Next Best Picture Podcast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. And we are, as you guys said earlier at the top of the show, always looking for the Next Best Picture Oscar winner. <laughs> and we do that all year long. You know, it, you know, a lot of people break down the year in phases. And for me, it's like phase one. It used to be that phase one was the film festivals up until the uh, critics awards start getting handed out. Mm-hmm. And then phase three is uh, post Oscar nominations up until the Oscars. Right. Mm-hmm. But now I'm starting to believe that phase one is really, you know, everything leading up to the festivals as well, because I do believe that we should be looking not just at what's released at the end of the year. I know it's because of attention spans that everything gets like kind of, cram down our throats you know at the end of the year but i really do believe that we should be looking you know prior to that uh for some really really great movies things like defy bloods from earlier this year or even like never really sometimes always so there are a lot of options that are still out there even in a year such as this that people can still look at uh but it is really really exciting to be in phase one of this crazy wacky year and that is exactly what we cover all year long on nextbestpicture.com well very cool thanks again matt for joining us and uh now we're gonna we're gonna kick it over to uh talk about the the venice international film festival with our special international correspondent alex billington (laughs) and we're back now we're going to move on from TIFF and the New York Film Festival to talk about the 77th Venice International Film Festival. And joining me now, fortunately Abe had to step out, but joining me to discuss the Venice Film Festival, we have one, a, a person that actually went to the Venice Film Festival. What do you think there? See, we get, we get guests on this show. That's what I'm saying. Uh, joining us now we have from FirstShowing.net, he found pieces of an inconvenient Indian in the Nomadland. It's Alex Billington. Hello. How's it going? Good. Alex, how are you doing? I am doing very good. Good. Well, glad to have you here. Let's um so okay, so let's let's get into it. Let's talk about the Venice film. So you went to Venice, correct? Yes. Um yes. And you've been <laughs> I before, did. I assume too. Yeah, this is my fourth year. Okay. And uh, and obviously things are different. Did you is there a was there a different feel? Was there a different vibe going on like on your arrival this year in the Venice yeah. Film Festival? Of course, of course. Um, the big thing was that this is the first festival, major festival, to have taken place as a as a like live in person thing since the shutdown. Can was canceled, and everything since May and March has been canceled, even South by Southwest. So, the first thing first was like this, like exactly your question is like, how's it gonna go? Um, and then right before, I think it was like a week or two before the festival happened, they officially made uh, the the rule change to say masks need to be worn during films too. Mm-hmm. Apparently it was only up until you sit down. Um, and then they said, okay, we'll let you, we'll make everyone wear them during films. So that was the, the big kind of like, everyone is going into it. Okay, we need to have masks basically all the time, which was fine with me. I was surprised that no one discussed how that works. Like, do I need to have a whole roll of masks in my bag ready to go? Which is exactly what I did. Uh, I had one for every day. And um, yeah, and then the other funny thing was that everyone said, oh, Venice is empty, Venice is empty. There was no one there, there's no tourists. I think it was earlier in the summer, but by the time I got there, it was pretty much back to normal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so when I arrived and I thought, oh, it'll be empty, it was actually like, no, Venice is kind of just doing its own thing. 
And yeah, and the festival was essentially this kind of, uh, I don't want to, it, it scared me to say this even thinking about it at the time was like a testing ground of like, what's going to happen? <laughs> you know, of course, I didn't want anything to happen. And I didn't want to have to worry about the risk of it. I, I put my trust in the festival, hoping that they would have taken the right precautions to do it correctly. You know, I don't know whether a temperature check when you go into the cinema makes a difference, but they were doing that, um, you know, again, mask all the time. Social distancing was kind of the deal, but not really enforced because, you know, you're walking around. How do they enforce that? And then the other major change they made this year was that everyone reserved seats. There was a minimum of one seat between everyone in the cinemas. And it was all like a reserved system where you see the seat map and you see where everyone is sitting. Um, so this whole system worked well. It wasn't a disaster like I kind of feared it might be. Um, and it kind of all came together in a celebration way of like okay we're back but there was also i would admit there was a nervousness to everyone being there just again because I'd you're imagine. like I'd I because it's there's a there's a comfort level thing i mean obviously it's like we're all here to enjoy a thing we're all following rules at the same time there is a thing that's out there that's kind of causing problems so it's like how do you watch a movie that comfortably while you're seated with a bunch of other people that have similar concerns to you yeah, in Italy being one of the first kind of worldwide yeah, yeah. cases of, you know, they went into heavy lockdown. A in real March. hot spot, yeah. Yeah, and I had thought that part of what actually made it good with Italy is that they had been experiencing it before most of the other countries, even before many of the other countries in Europe. So, so they had um, it under I control had thought, by the time you were there, to an extent. Yeah, yeah, and they had kind of established the rules that worked. Yeah, like, okay, there you go. Um, you know, in Venice, the, the Vaporettos, which are the boats, the, like the big boat taxi, so to say, that drive you around the, the main canal. Uh, every time you get on one of those, you have to wear a mask, too. Um, and it was it was actually fun because if someone tries to get on without a mask, they immediately get yelled at. And it's funny to hear that yelled at in Italian, like, la mascarina. So even the city was prepared and ready for it. And the city knows because it's a tourist city that they need people to be back. I, li I like to think when they yell, the masquerader, they're pointing at you and it's like invasion of the body snatchers where everybody just like comes at you all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, that was actually the fun thing because, look, I, I, I don't want to speak too much about it because I don't want to get into a, a political heyday. But I'm sending the this difference straight, between... to, straight to the U.N. afterwards, too. So, yeah, you no. really want to avoid that. <laughs> But the, the difference between what I read about and hear about in America and the way masks are properly accepted in Europe is, is a, to me, completely night and day difference. Mm -hmm. And then in Europe, there's, of course, people who, who don't want to wear it. But, of course, they know they have to. And the moment they're told they have to, they just cooperate because they know that it's the right thing to do. So um, it's still fun to hear them yell at people, but it's fun in a way where you're like, oh, they're just doing it because they know that they, they like actually, they're actually upholding the policy. See, that, you know, I mean, hate... that sounds like people that honk their horns where in America and in California, people seem to get offended by the fact that horns are honked. But I'm very aware that in, like in Europe and other places, honking's pretty well, like, that's just like, yeah, people honk. It happens all the time and no one gets like frustrated about it. It's just more like, yeah, that's what we're doing now because you're not doing things right. Do it better. Yeah, that's, exactly. That, that's kind exactly. of the feel I get. That's the vibe I got when I was in Israel. When there's when people are just driving in the wrong direction or doing something wrong. It's just constant hogging. It's not because they're trying to be an asshole. It's just, hey, just do better. And then you move yeah. on. <laughs> like, it's, there's no yeah. road rage. It's just do better. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I was I was genuinely worried, too, about the idea of enforcing things. But, of course, all the people, the, the guys running the boats, the guys in the cinemas, there were security guys in the cinemas who multiple times mm -hmm. would go tell people to put their mask on. So it's like they actually did have an enforcement that worked. Good. Um, 
So the, so that actual setup worked. And as far as I know, and I actually don't think the festival would admit if it happened, as far as I know, there wasn't any infections in spread. As, again, as far as we know, <laughs> publicly there was nothing ever revealed or stated. Um, I mean, that's I good to hear. I, I, I want to be on the optimistic side and just say, yeah, it went off basically without a hitch. I'd like to think that. Yeah, yeah, of course. I had an incident where there was a woman who was sitting near me who was uh, very clearly sick with, I assume it was a cold. She was runny nose, coughing constantly. And the rule, and this is what bothered me, the rule is if you're sick at all with any kind of sickness, yeah. especially a cold or a flu, you're not supposed to be there. And that's what bothered me. I was like, this woman should not have been there. Even if she doesn't have COVID, it doesn't matter what she has. She shouldn't be here. Um, so they, they took it seriously, and I don't know what happened to her. But like, that's the only incident no, they I ever her. had. So. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I never saw her again. Maybe you're right. The only other funny thing about it was that uh, with the reserved seating, I never saw any movie with any of my friends. Because there was you, you're just like choosing a random seat and your friends at a different screen at a different time and you're like okay i'll never see you so you're just sitting by random people the whole time and uh i have no idea who any of these if people anything are. that's that's a nice way to kind of encourage not like getting too close or anything you're not because you're like you're already in this state of well this is an awkward situation and now you're next to strangers you're like i don't want to get any more close to you than i have to so now you're really like practicing an extreme version of social distancing while in a movie theater yeah well i love not sitting next to people <laughs> yeah, you're, like a, huge, you're a huge loner alex loner billington that's what we call you <laughs> no but not only that you went I to everest like to, to get away from everyone as i recall i did actually uh <laughs> you are as harsh as these things are and you're accurate uh, i can't i can't deny that <laughs> these are the thing is these aren't even hard to do they just come to my mind right away <laughs> But we love having you on anyway, and you keep coming back. So it all works out in a nice cycle. Well, sometimes I appreciate a little jovial ribbing from fellow <laughs> critics who I respect. Well, well, I, your respect means a lot to me, just like it did to uh, Vin Diesel and Ja Rule in the first Fast and Furious. But I want to stop that praise right now <laughs> so I can get to more jovial ribbing because our late friend Abe is suddenly here. Our late friend Abe <laughs> is here. <laughs> Not I'm so back late from anymore. The dead. <laughs> yeah. Abe, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I apologize for being late. I was climbing Mount Everest. There you go. See? Woo. No, but it all works out because we haven't even started talking about movies yet. And Abe, I'm glad to get what? you here. Alex Alex has just been talking about basically the experience of Venice so far as far as what it's like to be okay. in a pandemic in the in a in a city that's you know suffered to a degree as far as how this thing went but certainly but got things under control well enough to actually throw a physical film festival compared to the other film festivals that we've previously talked about so yeah we so alex you're basically you're saying like yes the situation's there and all the precautions were taken but you still were able to attend films and have a pretty good experience am i right yeah yeah the the, the other part that actually made a big difference was that um venice said because there's less people attending even though it was only about 50 percent less the, they added all of these extra screenings. So like a press screening normally would be two times in a day. Mm -hmm. This year there were 10 options yeah. just because they needed to spread people out. So it was great because first things first, I had 10 options. Secondly, if one cinema was full, I could easily choose another one. And then third is my schedule was set in a way where like I didn't have to get in a queue. I didn't have to line up early. I could get there like one minute before it started. I know where my seat is reserved and had an easy time going to everything in that way. And it was much more... I guess, easier to manage. It's not that I have a huge issue with the way festivals run in the past, but this just helped it like, oh, I could just go to everything and not have to worry and not have to think um, about extra time needed and, and, you know, the efforts and the cues and is it going to be full and this and that. It was it was actually kind of nice. 
I kind of hope they keep it because I like that setup. I mean, I mean, I'm, obviously there's a kind of uh, a financial aspect to this. I'd imagine even the I, well, I don't know. Are are is Venice nonprofit? Most film festivals are nonprofit. Am I right? Yeah, but but obviously I mean, having ticket sales and what have you contribute a whole bunch. So I I, I guess yeah. I'm just I'm curious as far as because obviously this is a different this is a different conversation that we can have another time in another episode. But obviously, you know, movie theater attendance and what have you is taking a huge hit and is going to shift and change based on how everything is taking place right now. And I I'd imagine Venice is still having a physical presence, so that hasn't changed too much. It's just more of the attendance level. But these other film festivals we've talked about, they certainly do. I don't think that that's obviously that's not going to be forever, but certainly a factor as far as not everyone can go to, you know, Toronto or New York or Europe or various other places and the virtual thing. Newport Beach. Newport Beach, of course. So, I mean, the virtual component does, I imagine it doesn't hurt even if there's a kind of, well, what do you think about that as far as expanding beyond just like the people that are in the city? Do you think there's like a this should be for people that are in the area to watch because it's special to them? Or do you think there's a kind of spread the wealth aspect if that's possible? Do you think that, you think that matters? For Venice, you mean? Or no, for, Venice? well, I can, I guess as, as a jungle question, just cause I'm curious, like, do you think it's, do you think it was just like, I don't know, like going to San Diego Comic-Con, do you think it's cool for the people that are there to be the ones that experience it? Or do you think having a virtual component is, do you think that is that, does that, is that fair? I don't know. I don't know how to phrase I, it exactly. <laughs> I, I actually have been planning to write an article about this because it's a combination of both. Like in a regular festival, the beauty of a festival is that anyone from anywhere can come. Like if I go to Sundance, everyone from all over the United States is visiting just for Sundance. If I go to – this actually happened. Um, my friend Mike Eisenberg, who's been on your podcast too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Last year I went to this festival called the San Sebastian Film Festival in the north of Spain. And I met Mike's mother – because uh, she, for some random reason, went with her friends and decided to go to the San Sebastian Film Festival in the north of Spain in September. And I thought that was cool. I thought, hey, these American like women just decided to just fly here and go to this international festival and just see films here. And that's to be the beauty of festivals, that it is for everyone. Now, every festival, the majority of attendees are obviously locals. Mm -hmm. And like local Ven Venetian people aren't necessarily interested in films, but other Italians can come from wherever they are in Italy and get there and watch films there. <laughs> and same thing with Utah and Salt Lake um, for the Sundance Film Festival. There's actually discounts for locals who are in Utah. And there's also venues in Salt Lake City different than where the festival takes place in Park City. So it becomes... Like, hey, they want to remind locals that you, you can see it. The festival's here. It's happening. But also, the, the true beauty of a festival is that it is an international thing where people from all over the world can attend. I like the festivals are saying, like like uh, Toronto being a good example, we want a diverse mix of people from all over the world covering as press. And I hate the geo-blocking restrictions, which is a whole other conversation. But mm -hmm. that, that, to me, is limiting when we should remind ourselves that the ultimate glory of film is an, is an international worldwide mix and experience of having that mix, you know, mm -hmm. anyone from anywhere can see films from anywhere. That's the great part about it. And granted these films ideally will eventually arrive all over the world anyway, in a capacity. So it's more, there's a kind of a buzz spreading aspect and what have you. And there, I guess there, there are various sides to all this as far as either go, going to the film or the film's coming to you, I guess. And that, again, that's a different conversation, I, I, which I'd be happy to have at another point. But I, I do want us to get on to um, talking about the actual films you were able to see as well. Yeah, um, yeah, of course. I, yeah, I know. So, um, well, 
Well, hey, let me, let me throw you in here. Do you have any specific questions for Alex as far as kind of the movie experience? No, not necessarily. I mean, Alex, you bring up a really good point about, um, like, it's good that there's not this exclusivity type feel mm. to some yeah. of these, um, because that would be very limiting. And also, I think that that's kind of just, you know, it'd be unfortunate if it was like a, a cool kids club. And, you know, Aaron, you said that if, people wait long enough they're gonna see it anyway it's like yeah but at the same time like you know to your point about uh mikey e it's like <laughs> yeah if you're like i didn't know that it was like a, a family affair of, of their family both loving or all loving movies but that that's amazing that you know you're able to bump into them in spain uh, yeah. at a movie festival right i mean that's something that you you typically don't really think about right it's like hey uh, it's for this quote-unquote young group or, you know, like people that are cool enough to like go fly to other countries. It's like, no, it's it could be for anybody. I mean, I, I think that I, through doing this podcast, I've learned that like, you know, um, when you guys mentioned um, uh, Telluride or something like that, it's like you could just buy tickets yourself. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like exactly. you could literally just go and watch like a few movies yourself and, and you might not be in like the voting core, but still – it's not as though it, it's no, shut off. And so everybody gets an audience vote. So, I mean, that, there's that. They, everybody gets to participate yeah. to some degree. I know, yeah. what you're say, Abe, I know what you're saying, though, obviously. Totally. Yes, yeah, you're, yeah. You're, not, you're not sitting there with Kate Blanchett on the Venice board and, like, voting for the Golden Lion. Well, no, I mean, not even that. I mean, like, you know, you're not sitting there with, like, Alex Billington or something. That. It's like, it, it's, it can only be Alex Billington because he's, like, verified on Facebook kind of thing. You know, or, or on Twitter kind of thing. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I don't so want to like, vote with that... Alex anyway, but I, I get what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. But that's what, that's what makes either. it, like, really neat is, like, it pretty great experience although to your point earlier too alex like i also like sitting in the theater by myself um because yeah. I, I like to think that it's mine so <laughs> but, yeah. he sits but at still, the top and wears a crown and everything so it's i sit at a good eye level for the screen <laughs> oh with the plebeians i get it yeah <laughs> all right uh but let's talk about the movies you were able to see i was gonna talk about some of the ones that kind of stood out for you um oh. Abe, did you want to go through this kind of uh, the setup we have here, or do you want to just kind of be on a general basis? No, we can, we can, we can kind of um, uh, kind of go through like the the noms and winners. Okay. Uh, well, Alex, uh, we'll kind of start at the bottom here. Um, as far as kind of the best written films, outstanding writing, what would you what would you put at the top of the list there? Oof, I love the script. Oh wait, I don't even know if this is Venice. It is Venice. One night in Miami. I was I was trying to say I saw Tiff and Venice films, and they were both in the same mix. And I'm like, now nah, I get I don't know which one was in Venice and which one was Tiff. But um, one of the best scripts is One Night in Miami, which mm. is the Regina King um featured direct day. Sorry, it's her directorial debut. Uh, and you know I don't think she wrote the script, but um. No, yeah, it's based on a play. Um, yeah. But it's a. Uh... I had this in front of me, and now I don't have it in front of me. So keep going. <laughs> we'll talk. Yeah, no, no, it, it, it is. Kemp it Powers is. got it. <laughs> there we go. Even it, if it doesn't, it's based work. on his. It's based on his play too. Kemp Powers. Okay, great. Even if it doesn't work perfectly as a film because it is a play, <laughs> which is the biggest criticism of it, I still love the writing in it. It's just, um, and it, it, I guess it's fictional, but kind of based on a true story of. Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown all getting together in like literally one hotel room in one night in Miami having conversations. And just the fact that it's, um, I mean, this isn't really a big reveal, but it's kind of a coming of age of blackness Uh and that each of them kind of deal with their role as being black people in America and what that means and, and whether they're doing enough to support the cause in the movie. And this is in the 1960s. 
So specifically, uh, I'll just add respected black people, like people that are you know, yeah. that are that are of a, a higher status, because you have. I'll, I'll go through the actors. You have Kingsley Ben Adir as Malcolm X, Elia Gori as a uh, Cassius Clay, Aldous Hodge as Jim Brown, and Leslie Odom Jr. as Sam Cooke. Yeah, and that's it's 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 what I loved about it is it wasn't that them just being like, oh, I'm great, look at me. It was them having to individually, each almost at a different time, have to address what their point mm. is, and each of them kind of challenge each other on whether they're really you know doing enough, and making a difference. Um, while also recognizing their contributions and recognizing their their interests, Malcolm X being the most controversial of the like various discussions they're having because everyone kind of knows, oh, he's he's a little more more edgy, but also respects him because he's basically that like his quote unquote job is to do like go out and make a difference versus you know the other guys being either a sportsman or a musician. Okay. So, um, I, in terms of script, I love One Night in Miami, Miami the most out of everything I saw there. Um, another one being, I think, second runner-up would be uh, Pieces of a Woman, hmm. which is this relationship drama. Um, again, uh, I never know who writes these because I, I think more of the <laughs> that's, directors that's, than the that's, writers. That's why but... I'm here. You have uh, Kata Weber. Kata Weber. Um, and uh, this one is a very intimate piece between it's a study of grief in the beginning scene is um them basically losing a child a childbirth and then the rest of the film is them dealing with the fallout of that and how much of a struggle that is and how much it affects them and you know the 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 five stages of grief that they go through dealing with that Hmm. i'll I'll add that the actors are vanessa kirby and shia labeouf play the the main couple for the film Mm -hmm. I'm not saying too much because uh, we we previously talked about this on the the first part of this recording, so I I, I don't want to repeat too much of myself as far as my thoughts on sure. these films go. But I have I've I've seen the ones you've mentioned so far. <laughs> so, good, good. What should I talk about next? Oh, acting. Yeah, acting. <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about some actors. Who are where are some what are some of the best performances that you saw? Well, I'll I'll name the two because they they I had to do this on the uh, IndieWire poll, <laughs> which I think you did too. Um, <laughs> But my two choices were uh, Frances McDormand from Nomadland being the, the best actress. I think she was phenomenal in it in a way that um, requires a complete and deep understanding of the character beyond what is written on the page, which is always where a great performance comes from. And then um, Mads Mikkelsen from uh, Another Round. Although I don't even know. Is that a TIFF film or a Venice film? I don't, again, I have the same question. <laughs> it was at... Um... I don't think it was, it was at Venice. It was, it was at only TIFF. TIFF. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't see it here on the Venice list. <laughs> this is my problem. They all just rolled together. It's okay. No, I, I, I mean, what we're doing here is talking about, you know, the film festivals in general. So, I mean, you can, yeah, you can speak yeah, to – we don't have to be entirely to Venice. You can speak to like, your, your favorite performances you saw in general at these various film festivals. No, Mads Mikkelsen, the reason I mentioned him is that I saw, like, you know, 30 films together basically for three weeks in a row. Mm-hmm. And out of everything I saw, Mads Mikkelsen was one of the top performances. That tracks um, to me. He's, yeah. he's typically very good at things. Right. Yeah, and, and I mean, you'll, you guys probably talked about it earlier, but one of the things that really impressed me was from the first scene, I was so sad for him because he's – like the first scene opens with him and you're like depressed. And I was like, oh, Mads, like something's wrong. And then I realized like, oh, he's just giving a great performance. Like it's that kind of immediately <laughs> credible and believable and awesome performance from him that I just love. The other one I guess I would mention that, that kind of sticks out in my mind is this uh, Greek film Apples. And did not see that one. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I think it played in Toronto too, but it was a, it was a Venice one I saw like the very first day of the festival. Um, and the the guy who directed it, Christos Niku, is uh, formerly an assistant director for 
um uh oh man i'm forgetting all the names the other famous greek director right now uh yorgos lanthimos Lanthimos. yeah Yeah, so he he kind of came from that his realm and this is his feature debut and it's this film about a a guy who loses his memory and um uh, the actor's name aris servitalis a greek actor and and it's this again a performance that requires more than just reciting lines and, and having emotion it's this thing where like you have to believe him but also you have to get depth from what he's portraying which is this struggle to uh, have identity without remembering your past and trying to figure out who you are without knowing who you are and he really takes that role and brings so much nuance to playing that but also adds that emotional level to it that, that kind of hit me in a deep way cool I, I I'm gonna I now that you mentioned that when you talked more about it I, I do remember them I do remember hearing something about the like the person that worked of Yorgos Lanthimos being in another yeah film. so yeah that that sounds familiar to me so yeah I want to keep my eye out for that one for sure um yeah, but let's see what's next on our thing here oh directing uh so, so what are the yeah. what are the outstanding outstanding directed films that you you were able to see well Nomadland which I'm sure you've talked about and and we could go on about the other one I I also loved in terms of directions Pieces of a Woman again um mm-hmm. and uh Apples the one I just mentioned too also a great example of a film where the directing makes a huge difference I mean every film it does but but in this case it was something that I felt like again took a script that says something and adds more to it in the way he's saying it and also for me it's a big thing to not be a boring film and to not just be like some plain presentation of some bland story where you're like, oh, great. Like he makes it, he keeps it moving and he keeps you interested. He lets the scenes play just long enough without letting them play too long, which can be a problem in festival films. And um, yeah, we're still Those seeing my... Pieces of a Woman you're still talking about? Pieces of a Woman, yeah. No, I was talking about Apples, sorry. Oh, Apples. Oh, okay, Apples. Okay, because I, I, I have... There's a lot of good in Pieces of a Woman, but there's some things that I'm just not a big fan of, which is what holds that film mm. back for me. Um, mm. But that's another I, conversation. I, I, yeah, that's <laughs> The performances are all wanna, strong, though. I do like the performances in that film. Yeah. I also want to mention this film, um, because it's a Venice... Oh, no, I think it was also in both festivals again. Uh, it's this German film called And Tomorrow the Entire World. Mm. Und Morgen die ganze Welt. And um, it's yeah. directed by this woman uh, who her, her whole conceit, and it's a really timely film, is that she's like, oh, I used to be part of the Antifa liberal movement in Germany. And she's kind of exploring this question through cinema of whether um, more needs to be done, whether violence is actually a necessary part of uh, activism and whether it can make a difference and or what happens if we don't do enough. And she explores this in the film. The film has some some strange scenes, but overall it's very strong in portraying what she's trying to portray. Mm-hmm. And it has really stuck with me, even though I, I didn't rate it as one of my best films of the festival. There's just something about it that's been sticking with me. And that has been in my mind ever since then, not only in how she portrays what she's trying to portray and the message that she ends on, but also just how she draws you into the story and allows you to see all sides of what's going on and kind of like puts you in uncomfortable positions. Um, the director is Julia von Hein. Yeah, I see. Well, very, um, very cool. And sounds, this is a, sounds interesting. Yeah, this is a good film that I hope people take a look at. Uh, I didn't hear many people talk about it at Toronto, maybe because it's too timely and too kind of scary to look at, but I I think it's a strong film that deserves um, attention. Even if people hate it, I think it's worthy of that kind of discussion. I hear you. Um, all right, well, 
Uh, so at the Venice at the Venice International Film Festival, they award the Golden Lion as the top honor. Um, and this year, Nomadland was chosen as, as their Golden Lion winner. Do you agree with that choice? Or do you have your own pick for the Golden Lion for the Venice Film Festival? No, I agree. I agree, actually. <laughs> I saw Nomadland <laughs> after it had won the award because I had been home and I had I'd seen it as part of the Toronto system. Mm-hmm. And actually, the moment I saw it, I was like, yeah, this is this is fine with me. <laughs> like, there was a lot of strong stuff. Like, I really love Pieces of a Woman. Not everyone did. You, you know, you didn't either, And So... That was another one that I love, but I actually wouldn't give the Golden Lion to. Um, no man, in a, a runner-up category, you'd have pieces of a woman. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if it was if I was on the jury, I'd give it some directing or writing award, or even acting. But um, overall, I'm really happy with Nomadland. A lot of the other ones that I'd heard a lot of my friends saying they wanted to win, I didn't like. Uh, there was this film called Quo Vadi Aida. I see. Um, which is about this bo- this Bosnian war moment where there's this woman who's kind of uh, working at a, a UN camp. And I was not a fan of the film, but a lot of people were like, this should win the Golden Lion. Eh, I didn't like it much. Um, a lot of the films were strong, but never really blew me away in that way that I was like, Golden Lion winner. And of course, ever since Joker won last year, it's kind of been this like, why do they choose what they choose kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, we're like, still talking about Joker today. Yeah, because I because I can't stop. I don't. Well, I don't. Well, honestly, I don't totally agree with Joker, but I also don't Joker winning. You know what I mean? Like, I mean it, it wasn't it, my pick, but I also don't have an issue. <laughs> I get, I get that. I mean, it's a it's <laughs> it's distinct in what it's doing, given the yeah. genre it falls into. It. I mean, I can't deny that Joaquin Phoenix is certainly acting a lot. Whether it's the best acting, that's another question. But he's doing a lot of acting, that's for sure. And uh, well, it just yeah. represents Italians a lot. You know, oh, that's I mean? the like, other thing. Yeah, it's really it's, it might as well be called "Send in the Clowns." Like that. Yeah, it, or, it's, or, or, it's like, so or, much about like the Italian struggle of growing up, and then like it's about Silvio Berlusconi. You know what I mean? Yeah, or Pagliacci. Yeah, that's why I won the Golden Lion. <laughs> All the Italians now are just like turning off our podcast. We have a huge base in uh, Naples. Yeah, the, that like Cuomo oh, crowd, they're they're done. Yeah. Nice is not nice to us, though. <laughs> I'm done with alliteration. Yeah. <laughs> Move on from that. But I mean, uh, so, yeah, I mean, it sounds like Nomadland was uh, was the best, uh, and seems like it's pretty universally acclaimed as, yeah, like, the best. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we, uh, we we have talked about that in our the TIFF section of this. Previous already, one, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, it certainly... It's a film that people are going to be hearing a lot about, I assume, in the in the coming months as far as, far as award season goes. Um, and not without good reason, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alex, uh, do you have? So we had, we wanted to make this. We had a fun question for you. Do you have? If you were to give the the Alex Billington Special Achievement Award, where would that go? <laughs> well, I would give. Um... What, what would be the criteria for this kind of award, and and, and who would the who would the winner be? <laughs> well, I want to give one for the the unpointlessly longest film of the festival, which is City <laughs> Hall. <laughs> That's a great. Oh, is that, is that what is that? Is that the? Uh, it's not like eleven hours, is it? It's something, but it's something still long. Four, it's no, like four it's, hours. Yeah, four and a half hours. Frederick Wiseman's. Uh, it's about Boston, and um, you know, I love Frederick Wiseman in his films, but man, oh man, this was way too long. And I watched every goddamn minute of it, <laughs> just to watch it, just to be like, I sat there and watched all four and a half hours. I mean, I did it at home, but I, I, I watched it and I was like, okay. <laughs> Good, good job for making a four and a half hour movie. He just, he just literally put in every piece of footage he has. Like, oh, okay, great, let's just show. There was a scene, I think it was five minutes long of trash cans. It was one of my favorite scenes, and there was just the trash, uh, the trash guys picking up trash on the street of Boston. I was like, 
okay, cool, great scene, but what does this what does this have to do with anything? <laughs> Why do we need this in a film? I mean, you met, you mentioned like a four hour runtime, and I was like, I wonder if that's also the same guy that did this documentary called At Berkeley, and it is. <laughs> yeah, so I just looked it up right now. I was like, "Oh yeah, I guess there's my old because when, when I saw that trailer, I was like, "Oh, this is cool." And then I was like, "I don't think I'm gonna watch this," and I'm glad that I didn't because Alex has now told me that it's it's kind of like long and and there's no editing and it seems like there's just gonna be shots of like. No, nothing. I I hear a city hall was originally four hours and two minutes, and he cut two out. He cut. <laughs> I wish he wanted yeah, to get the, the he, part where he, Mark, he, Mark Wahlberg he, comes in. He wanted to tighten up the pacing. I would, Aaron. I also want to give an award for uh, the film that I love, that everyone hates, that I love, and that everyone else hates, which is the I Am Greta documentary. Um, people and hate I wrote that? a review of. It. Look, I wrote a positive review, and people were like, "She sucks. You suck, Alex. Everyone sucks who likes this film." It was just like, oh goodness. <laughs> where was that backlash? RebelRightRadio.com. You know, I don't know where they come from. They come out of the wood. The moment that you mention her name, people come out of the woodwork to be like, she's horrible. And I'm like, Geez, no, no, I was, I was talking about the little, the mythical girl with Hansel. Yeah, sorry that she <laughs> sailed like halfway around the country, you know, to make a point about climate change. Apparently that doesn't matter. She should be in school. Come on. <laughs> that is, it's just like the moment you praise anything related to her, people, they literally come out just to get angry about it. Mm-hmm. Got it. It's, a, it, oh, it's yeah, in the that. film. There's a little bit of a passage about it, like her dealing with the, the negative negativity that sort of came with her attention. Good. I mean, good stuff. Any other thoughts on any of the films that you want to mention real quick? I mean, I don't want to waste too much time talking about <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's fine. Because <laughs> I'm the kind of person who would spend 18 hours talking about all these films. Oh, I'm the sure. Other I, one... it will, there's plenty of there's plenty of time until the next Oscars for us to have you back on to talk more about kind of some of the stuff we've been seeing since then. But of course, the only other one I would specifically mention is this documentary called Salvatore, Shoemaker of Dreams. It's actually made by Luca Guadagnino, the uh, Call Me by Your Name director. Yeah, is it a oh, short in, in... or is it a film? No, it's a it's a two hour documentary. Oh, so okay. it, wow! It, after coming about Biden, Boston. He made, uh, well, no. um, he made the, the this HBO series. He made this documentary, and he's made a short film during the lockdown. So he's been really, really busy on top of probably planning five other projects. Oh, he's so. Italy's Steven Soderbergh. <laughs> um, so the I have to mention because I really loved it. It's basically about this Italian guy who makes shoes and becomes famous and does shoes for all the celebrities in Hollywood. And huh. um, it's exactly the opposite of what I thought I would enjoy. And I remember thinking, what am I going to watch here? And I sat down and was like, this is incredible. <laughs> uh, it's it's very um, – most people won't like it because it's too long. And it kind of like just draws on on about this guy doing his shoes. Mm-hmm. But I just I just knew what Guadagnino was doing. I knew what he was focusing on. I knew that he appreciated this guy's love for shoes. And I kind of loved it. So. Nice. Well, very cool. It's like an Italian Jiro uh, Dreams of Sushi, but with shoes. Yeah, actually, that's a good reference. Hmm. It really is. I dig it. Salvatore yeah. sleeps with shoes. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I I will end by saying I had a good time with the festival. I'm really glad I went. It was great to be at a festival watching films in cinemas. Mm-hmm. And I know I know that's normally what we do all year long. And I and then I played it against TIFF, which is I went home and just watched 15 more films at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just wasn't the same, and I missed that. And I was. You know, again, we talked about at the beginning of this, I was aware of the risk and it was nervous, but I was still glad to have been there and have just gone and had that moment one more time this year. Well, very cool. 
Uh, yeah, it's get very cool to get some info from you on this. And I mean, yeah. we're, Abe and I are currently in a spot where theaters just don't feel like the best decision right now. So it's right. nice to hear from somebody that, you know, has a bit more accessibility to an area that's gone through this and has dealt with this in a more responsible manner. So uh, yeah. <laughs> you can actually yeah, feel exactly. comfortable doing what you're doing. Um, and well, so, yeah, thank was... you to you, global correspondent Alex <laughs> Billington. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. That's always good to get you in here. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, with that in mind, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Out Now with Aaron and Abe. You can find more of my work, my personal blog, thecodezeek.com. Everything I do ends up over there. I'm also writing movie reviews at Wheel of Entertainment, Blu-ray reviews at wisely.com, and occasionally writing over at Variety. You can also find me on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Abe? You can find more of Alex Billington's work over at firstshowing.net, and also <laughs> uh, my Instagram, Abe.mua, and twitter.com slash walrusmoose, hashtag we love Lake Cuomo. <laughs> Alex Billington, where can people find more of you online? Um, whatever Abe just said is exactly where you can find me. At <laughs> uh, firstshowing.net and on Twitter at first showing. And on Letterboxd at first showing. Oh. <laughs> they have a new website where you gotta go. No, actually, I love Letterboxd. So. <laughs> it's, it's a good way to keep track of things, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, you can find all the other episodes about Now Third and Abe on iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, and Stitcher. SoundCloud, Podomatic, and HHWLD. Feel free to email us at outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Ask us any international questions over at Facebook.com slash podcast or tweet at us at Twitter.com slash underscore podcast. And, of course, follow us on Instagram, Instagram.com slash podcast. Alex, once again, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Alex. Of course. No problem, guys. For sure. And that's going to do it for this week's episode. Stay tuned for some plenty of horror-themed bonus content coming in October uh-huh. in addition to our uh, regular shows as well. But until next time, so long. And ciao. God, see. I hear something saying uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, That's the sound of the men Working on the chain Gang That's the sound of the men Working on the chain Gang, all day long they're saying, Ooh. ah, Ooh. ah, Ooh. ah, Ooh. ah, well, don't you know? That's the sound of the men working on the chain. Gang, that's the sound of the men working on the chain. All day long they work so hard till the sun. Alex, did you say a lot of ciao bella uh, when you're in Italy? I say ciao all the time. Yes, it's okay. very. Uh, I I love it. Every time I'm there, I'm like ciao. ciao. And, all, and all the Italians love to respond with the ciao back at you, and you're like yeah, ciao. <laughs> I dig it. I dig it. I wasn't sure if you're like, oh, in Germany I say ciao all the time too. <laughs> it's like, well, you can, but it, in Italy it's really feels good. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a, the warm, fuzzy, ciao feeling. <laughs>